Matty, today we're going to do a very quick, hopefully quick, podcast on the cell. Human cells. C- cell or cells? Cells. <laughs> cells. So cells. all of them or just one? Uh, all 100 trillion of them. But represented as one? Potentially. Okay. Depends on in how much detail we... We just want to do this for like 20 minutes, right? All right. Okay, so in your body, there's about 100 trillion cells. Yep. There's a lot. Of your own. Well... Not bacterial cells. Okay, so they used to say that there were more bacterial cells in your body than your cells in the body, right? They used to say it was like 10 to 1, then they said it's 5 to 1. Now the evidence shows that it's more like 1 to 1. For every cell that you have, there's a bacterial cell. So are you there for them or are they there for you? That's a philosophical question. Symbiotic. So we're there for each other. That's beautiful. Like you and I. Ah, good man. All right. 100 trillion cells... But cell, all cells, well, the majority of these cells are quite different from one another. Okay? So cells that have similar structure and similar function tend to group together to form tissues, right? Okay, and there's four types of tissues. Okay, so there's connective tissue, nervous tissue, yeah. muscular tissue, and epithelial tissue, right? Okay. Which means if you look at those tissues under a microscope and look at the cells, they will have a similar structure and function. Do you agree? Sounds good to me. So if we take muscle cells, for example... That means muscle cells must have a similar structural function which makes them a tissue type. Okay. And so that particular function, as an example, is the fact that muscle cells contract. Yep. So that's what they do that make them, or at least in part, make them muscle tissue. Okay. Okay. Now, when you look at epithelial tissue, they're made up of epithelial cells, which means they almost have a similar structure function, and they do. So you're going to have these pancake-looking cells, or you're going to have cuboidal or columnar-looking cells, but they're there for protection and layering and secretion. secretion and diffusion and so forth. What I'm saying is that if you look at a muscle cell and then look at a cell that makes up nervous tissue, a neuron, okay. they don't look anything like each other. Right. But grouped together, the muscle cells form muscle tissue that have a function. The neurons form nervous tissue that have a function for communication. Right. So if they're so different, what makes a muscle cell a muscle cell? And what makes a nervous cell, a neuron, a cell as well? How are they both cells if they're so different structurally? Could you say that they have... And functionally. Could you say that they have differentiated to be how they are now? That's true. But they must share something similar... Okay. in order for them both to be called cells, right? Okay. So they differ structurally, they differ functionally, they differ in their size. So cells are usually between about 10 micrometers to 150, let's say, micrometers in size, with very small cells being um, red blood cells. They're around about 7.5 micrometers in size. Mm. If you want to know what a micrometer is, you know what a meter is, right? Yeah. Okay, that's made up of 1,000 millimeters. So you can easily picture one millimetre. So take that one millimetre and divide that by a thousand. Take seven of those and that's the size of a red blood cell. Small stuff. That's right. Even um, uh, lymphocytes, very small as well. They're around about six to ten micrometres in size too. Very, very small. But then you've got osteoclasts. These are cells that are involved in bone uh, bone, uh, remodelling. And they're about 200 micrometres in size, Mm -hmm. quite big. And then you've got neurons. Some neurons are about a metre in length. But thin. But thin. 
which means again, even in size they vary. So we need to determine what is it that makes a cell a cell, even if they're different so in size, shape and function. So what components do they all have? Okay, first thing share? is that all the cells contain a cell wall. Wrong, that's plant. Did I get you? <laughs> Did I trick you? All could be bacteria. That's true. Cell membrane. Fungus. Fungus among us. I'm a fungi. Yeah. <laughs> so all the cells have a plasma membrane, also known as a cell membrane. Okay, so that's okay. what goes around them? That's what goes that's what separates the cell from the external environment and its internal environment, which is very important biologically. Okay. And so so you've got this thing that wraps around an individual cell called the cell membrane, which is just a sea of kind of lipids. And proteins. It's actually 50-50 lipids and is proteins. It, really? it is, yeah. A lot of people say it's just lipids. There's a lot of fat there, but there's also a lot of proteins as well. Yeah. Now, before we go into that plasma membrane, let's talk about the fact that it separates out the extracellular fluid, everything outside the cell, and the intracellular fluid, everything inside the cell. All right. Everything inside the cell is often termed the cytoplasm. Yeah. Okay? Used to be termed the protoplasm which is all the fluids and everything in the fluids. So if we have a look at the protoplasm or cytoplasm, we'll look at everything inside. It's made up of a couple of different things. Five now, if we get rid of the organelles, get rid of the subcellular structures, and just look at the fluid and what's in that fluid, right? Mm. There's five major components. Okay. First major component within a cell is water. 70 to 85% of a cell is just water. Okay. All right. Second thing is that it's made up of ions. Okay. Do you know the definition of an ion? A charged atom or element. Correct. So that, give me an example. Sodium. Na+. Give me another one. Potassium. K+. Another one. Chloride. Cl negative. Another one. Uranium. Don't know. <laughs> Shouldn't have any of that in your body. Okay. So they're ions and there's going to be a certain concentration of them inside the cell and outside and they're actually in different quantities. That's for another podcast. That's the second thing. Third thing is that you have proteins. Fourth thing, lipids. Fifth thing, carbohydrates. Really? Yep. So all these things what are organelles? inside the cell. So I'm excluding organelles. Oh, did we're you say going, that? Yes, I did say oh, that. Okay. You were just too busy faffing about not caring about the cells. So that's the cytoplasm. Okay. So Happy just to that? reiterate, yeah. each in every one of those 100 trillion cells mm-hmm. of you, what makes Michael Todorovich... Michael Todorovich, mm-hmm. will have a cell membrane, which is basically a double-layered fatty phosphate layer. Yeah, okay. which we haven't spoken about yet. Which separates... And proteins. Which separates the outside fluid, which we call extra, extracellular or interstitial fluid, yes. to the fluid inside the cell, or the intracellular fluid, which is basically the cytoplasm. Correct. And that cytoplasm is made up of how many parts did you say? Water. No, but how many did you say? Five. Five. Excluding the subcellular components and organelles. So, okay. So that's going to be made up of water, yeah. ions, mm-hmm. fats, mm-hmm. proteins, mm-hmm. and carbohydrates. carbohydrates. Yes. Got that? Yeah. All right. In varying degrees. Yeah. So for example... If we look at the proteins, first of all, inside the cell, you can have structural or functional. Structural proteins are like the scaffolds of the cells. Mm. They're called microfilaments, or at least okay. some examples of microfilaments. Or cytoskeleton, yep. Cytoskeleton. The lipids, well, there's actually not many fats inside the what cell. The, what's the functional proteins then? Oh, sorry. The functional proteins are like enzymes. 
Yeah. Right. Okay. So they make reactions occur. They make reactions occur faster. They shuttle things across. They do all the activity. Cool. Okay. The lipids. There's not too many lipids within the cell. Okay. The types of lipids you're going to find are cholesterol and phospholipids. Isn't the aren't they in the membrane? Correct. But they're also within that fluid as well, but in, not in high quantities. Okay. Okay. Then protein. Uh, did proteins? Carbohydrates. Oh, the other thing is that for the fats. You're also going to find that certain cells, such as lipocytes, fat cells, they're just filled with fat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay? Right. Yep. So it really depends on the type of cell you're looking at. Definitely. And carbohydrates, you actually don't have much carbohydrate stored within the cell. On average, 1% of a cell's mass is carbs. But if you look at a muscle cell... When you say carbs, cell, what do you mean? Like glucose? Glycogen. Oh, glycogen. That's right. Except if you are in... Muscle cells, 3%. Liver cells, 7%. Is that all? That's it. Oh, I would have thought there was more. That's it. Most of the carbohydrates are as glucose outside the cell. Wow. Yeah. I would have thought... As far as my understanding goes, that's how it is. I would have thought there'd be a lot, lot more glycogen in a liver cell than that. Anyway. 7% by mass. It's a fair bit. Go on. Look, I could be wrong, and if I'm wrong, please correct me. Okay. Now, if we look at that plasma membrane, because we're doing a real quick tour of the cell here, right? That plasma membrane, you said, is a bilayer two, of fat. Two layers. Two layers. Of these kind of... They almost look like sperm cells. We'll say tadpoles. Tadpoles, but with two tails. Yes. And so the head of the tadpole is what we call a phosphate head. Correct. And then the two tails are fatty acids. Yes. Correct. Yes, this is important. Now, the, the heads are facing either outwards towards the extracellular fluid or the other layer is facing inwards towards the cytoplasm. Okay, so and let's... The, and the two tails are in the inside, right? Okay, so let's explain this. If you've got one of these phospholipids, phospho, phospho meaning phosphate, that's the head, has a charge to it, and the lipid part is the fatty acid tail, mm. so two fatty acids... If something has a charge to it, usually means it likes to interact with water. Why? Because water is H2O, mm. and when you look at a water molecule, it looks like a boomerang, the two H's have a slight positive charge, and the O has a slight negative charge, yeah, that's right. which means that if, if something has a positive charge, it'll interact with the oxygen. If it has a negative charge, it'll interact with the positive hydrogen. So water is known as the universal solvent because of that particular reason. It loves to dissolve things with charges on them which means that the phosphate, having a charge, likes to interact with the water. So it means phosphate is hydrophilic. Fatty acids, well, we all know that anything that dissolves in fat hates water. And you can see this. If you filled your sink up at home in the kitchen with water and then started pouring olive oil into it, Mm. it would not dissolve in the water. It would stay separate. That's right. And so just like the fatty acid tail doesn't want to be anywhere near the water, and that's hydrophobic. So let's just say if you've got a whole bunch of these phospholipids individually, but they're together in a big group, right, but they're not connected to one another, and they're in water, how do you think they're going to arrange themselves? Well, it makes sense that they'll arrange themselves in a double layer in which the phosphate is exposed to the water and the fatty acid tail is only exposed to another fatty acid tail. And therefore, the other phosphate head is exposed to the fluid inside where the phosphate head on the other phospholipid is exposed to the water on the outside. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. So now you've got this separating barrier from outside to inside. And it has water-loving heads, water-hating tails, and the water-hating 
tails are in the middle of the membrane. Between the two layers. Now, what that means is that this membrane is selective as to what it will let in and out. So it's called semi-permeable. Now, what does it let in and out? Well, the rule of thumb is it doesn't let things in that are large. It doesn't let things in that are charged. So if you use ions, for example, are they large? Nope. Tiny. They're atoms. Can't get really any smaller than that. But are they charged? By definition, yes. So ions can't get through the plasma membrane. Anything that is a lipid, meaning fat-soluble, will get through the plasma membrane. Like? Fats. <laughs> uh, steroid hormones. Yeah. Right? They have their function in the nucleus of the cell because they just simply move through, which means that a plasma membrane is semi-permeable, lets certain things in, doesn't let other things through. So the plasma membrane is made up of lipids predominantly, but I said 50-50 lipids proteins. So you've also got proteins embedded all throughout that plasma membrane. Actually, the other thing I should say is that the other lipid that's in the plasma membrane is cholesterol. Yep. And the level of cholesterol determines how fluid the plasma membrane is. In actual fact, you may think of it as being this hard sort of thing that separates the outside from the inside, but it's so fluid that it's like motor oil. That's the consistency of the plasma membrane. Very fluid, easy to move. Right, right, okay. Uh, and that's determined by the level of cholesterol embedded in the plasma membrane. So the more cholesterol, what happens? I think the more cholesterol, the more rigid the structure is. Or maybe, no, no, maybe it's the opposite. Other way. No, it's the opposite side. The more cholesterol, the less rigid and more fluid the structure is. And the way I remember that, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the way I remember this is animals or plants that are in a colder environment Mm. need more cholesterol in it, I think, to stop the membranes solidifying. That makes sense. That makes sense. I like that. I like that way of remembering. If you look at the proteins that are in the membrane, you can have what's called integral proteins and peripheral proteins. Now, they've all got different activities. The integral proteins span the entire width of the membrane. They go from the outside of the cell all the way to the inside, and they're usually there as channels. They let certain things in and out. Right? Is that okay? okay? Yep. Now, the peripheral proteins usually just sit on the outside, and often they're used or as... Or inside. Or inside, and often used as some sort of carrier or messenger protein. Signaling, yeah. yeah. Signaling. Now, attached to the ends of all these proteins, or most of these proteins on the outside of the cell, is, do you know what? Sugar. Another carbohydrate. A carbohydrate. And this carbohydrate molecule, or carbohydrate moiety, is sort of attached like a little pipe cleaner that sits on the end of these proteins on the outside of the cell. And what you'll find is that cells usually look very fuzzy on their um, border because of all these carbohydrate molecules sitting out of the proteins. And they're really important for a number of reasons. One, carbohydrates on the outside of cells can talk to carbohydrates on the outside of other cells and allow for interactions to occur. Two, they can be used as receptors. So insulin, for example, will bind to carbohydrate moieties sitting on the outside of proteins. Okay. And three, they play an immune role, allowing a cell to be recognised as self or non-self, such as the major histocompatibility complex includes some of these carbohydrates, right? This is called the glycocalyx, obviously very important. Let's go into the cell. We have certain organelles in the cell. Let's do a very quick run-through of these organelles. Would you agree it's fair to say that it's really these different abundance of these 
organelles which then make these distinct differences between yeah. the cells that we just, well, the example you just gave between the muscle cell and the neuron. Totally agree. We okay. can talk about that. So, what most of these cells have, right in the middle, is the nucleus. That's the core. What does that contain? That's the DNA. That's, so that has all the information to code for proteins, yes. which uh, are just a strand of an alphabet. Mm-hmm. But this alphabet, instead of, what, 26 letters, has four. That's right. So you've got 23 pairs of chromosomes sitting within the nucleus of your DNA, uh, of your cells, except your red blood cells. So 22 autosomes, 22 which autosomes. is one, 1 to 22, and then you have two sex chromosomes, which could be that XX or XY. That determines your biological sex. Yeah. That's right. And the reason why it's pairs is because your pair of chromosome 1, one chromosome comes from mum, one comes from dad. Okay. Your pair of chromosome 2, one from mum, one from dad, chromosome 3, one from mum, one from dad, all the way down to your 23rd pair of chromosomes. Now, if you unraveled all these chromosomes, you've got 3 billion letters, like you said, A, C, G, and T, yep. and that makes up your genetic material. Yep. And it's so long that if you were to hold up the DNA that's within every single cell... Let's just take one cell of your body. Just one do, cell. Just do one cell. Just one cell, and I would stretch out all the DNA just within one cell... It'll be about seven foot long. That's a long, that's a really long DNA strand, and that's about three billion letters. Wow. Which means your whole body, 100 trillion cells, all this DNA, or 70 odd trillion cells, all this DNA is going to stretch from Earth to the Moon and back numerous times. The number, I don't know, but it's very long. Okay, that's where the DNA is that sits in your nucleus. Perfect. We need to sometimes make copies of that DNA. Yep. And in order for that to happen, that DNA needs to turn into something called RNA, which is a very similar-looking DNA strand, right? The only difference is, is that it's the complement of the DNA. Okay. And what that means simply is that if there's an A there, an RNA is going to have a T. If it's a G, RNA is going to have a C. If it's a T, RNA is going to have an A. If it's a C, RNA is going to have a G. Except RNAs don't have Ts, they have Us. Mm. Okay? Right. All right. The RNA is the gene, basically. Not all the time, but the RNA is the gene, which means it's the smallest amount of DNA that encodes a functional protein. So you need to turn DNA, which actually has no function, to RNA, which now can do something, right? And that RNA, all made in the nucleus, jumps out of the nucleus into the cytoplasm. This is important because we're going to come across our first subcellular structure, which is the ribosome. Now, a ribosome is consistent of two sub It's a protein of two subunits that reads RNA and turns it into protein. How does it read it? It reads it three letters at a time. Every three letter corresponds to a single amino acid. So it reads three, one amino acid pops out, reads three, one amino acid pops out, and so you've got a string of amino acids. Okay. Each of these amino acids are going to have certain characteristics. Some may be positive, some may be negative. Some may be hydrophobic, some may be hydrophilic, some may be acidic, some may be basic. Yeah. And what this means is that that string of these amino acids with various characteristics will just spontaneously fold in upon itself to determined by these characteristics. Yep, yep. The positive will go to the negative, the hydrophobic will be embedded so it doesn't touch water, hydrophilic will be on the outside, and then you've got a, a protein of a particular structure and function. Perfect. Done. Hmm. Now the ribosomes that are free-floating in the cytoplasm, they create proteins that are going to have a function inside that cell itself. So then the question is, what about proteins that need to be made to be exported out of the cell? Well, they're made by a particular structure 
which is continuous with the nucleus called the endoplasmic reticulum. In actual fact, there's two types, rough and smooth. And the rough look rough because they're studded with ribosomes. Right. Okay. But isn't it... My understanding was all proteins that are created will be made in the endoplasmic reticulum, the rough fever. And then isn't it then they're packaged in the Golgi to then, then to be transported out? That's right. So all, all proteins that will be exported out of the cell are made on the rough endoplasmic reticulum. Oh, I thought they were all. But proteins that are made for within the cell are just made by the free-floating ribosomes. Okay. Yep. That's cool. Okay, so the RNA's come out. It's jumped into the rough endoplasmic okay, so reticulum. Okay, so we We've spoke about the DNA. Yeah. Sorry, we spoke about the nucleus. Yeah. It's just a an organelle that has its own membrane. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it contains all the DNA that's condensed up into the chromosomes. Yeah. Okay, so that's that one organelle done. Then you said there's a another organelle just right next to it or joining it called yep. the endoplasmic reticulum. Yes. But because it's got ribosomes embedded through it, yeah, it makes it through the microscope or down the microscope look rough. Yes. Looking, but its function, the rough endoplasmic reticulum, mm-hmm. is about the production plant of the cells. So it's putting the proteins, helps to put the proteins together yep. to be transported out. That's right. Whereas the nucleus is more like a library that holds the information. That's right. So the the nucleus has the blueprint to make the toy. We've sent that to the factory that makes the toy, and the factory is a rough endoplasmic reticulum. They've made the toy now, yep. which is the proteins. Yep. But now we need to ship that toy out. So we need to send it to the shipping department or the post office which is the Golgi apparatus. All the Golgi does, it puts on what we call post-translational modifications, which means it basically puts on flags or stickers that say, this protein goes here, this protein goes here, this protein goes here. So that could be just to its neighbour cells or could go to the other end of the body maybe. That's right. And so once it's packaged these proteins up, it packages them in structures called vesicles. These vesicles get thrown towards the plasma membrane, fuse with the plasma membrane, and spill their guts, being the protein, out into the extracellular environment. Okay. All good? Yeah, yeah. What about the smooth endoplasmic reticulum? doesn't make proteins, but it does play a role in lipid synthesis. So this is another organelle now? Yep. Um, do all cells have these? Anyway. I'm not going to say all, but I would say most. Okay. The smooth endoplasmic reticulum plays a role in lipid synthesis and also detoxification. Another big one. Liver has a huge amount of smooth endoplasmic reticulum. No, another function of this organelle. Carbohydrate synthesis. I'm not sure about that one, but calcium. Calcium storage Mm. in muscles. And that's the sarcoplasmic reticulum. Mm. Okay, so if... Smooth endoplasmic reticulum play a role in lipid metabolism, lipid synthesis, I should say, and um, detoxification. It means that liver cells, which play a big role in lipid metabolism or synthesis and detoxification, are going to have a huge amount of smooth endoplasmic reticulum. Yeah, that's sense. true. Right? Easy peasy. What else is there within the cell? Well, there's going to be lysosomes and peroxisomes. These are the cleanup mechanisms within the cells. Lysosomes will break things down using hydrogen. Peroxisomes will break things down using oxygen. Okay. What else do we have? Uh, can you think of anything? Mitochondria. Oh, how can we forget that? Powerhouse of the cell. Another so membrane-bound... Well, it doesn't make electricity at all, but... <laughs> it, 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 
<laughs> it, I'm using the analogy. Oh, the power oh, plant. It's the power yes. plant. Okay. So it's or another city, yeah. membrane-bound uh, <laughs> Is that organelle. A double, double membrane. Double membrane. It's got the cystinae, which is like a complex structure inside. And what it does is the mitochondria will take a, a component of glucose or a, um, a product of glucose, oxygen, turn it to ATP and carbon dioxide. Pump it out. Pump it out. And that ATP is used for energy. Very important. So that's the mitochondria. So it actually then, has its own genetic material. So then what cells would have heaps of ATP? Muscle cells because they need to contract and neurons because they need to send a lot of signals. Mm. Makes sense? So cells that need a lot of energy for its function. And the mitochondria actually came from, well, it was its own organism. So it's a fused with us. photosynthetic? No, it wasn't photosynthetic. Okay. What happened was the mitochondria can create its own energy, yeah. right? We wanted some more energy. Now, when I say we weren't humans, we were single-celled organisms, yeah. right? But the mitochondria in its early form was able to create its own energy. We were able to provide it with a form of energy, glucose, for example. What a perfect relationship. We give it food, it gives us energy. But it was a bacteria, wasn't it? It was a bacteria. Yeah. And the reason why we know this is because it's got its own genetic material still, separate to us. It's got its own sure, genetic sure, material. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. creates around about 20-odd genes. It has about 20-odd genes which have about 20-odd functions. And this is essentially, you could argue, couldn't you, that why you get more DNA from your mother than your father. So do you want to explain that? No, you do it. Okay. So <laughs> when, when the sperm fertilizes the egg, the egg is actually a very big cell and the sperm is actually a very small cell, right? Yep. Which means if you take all the genetic material within both. So if you take the, um, autoso- uh, the autosomal DNA or chromosomes yes. and the sex chromosomes, it's going to be one of each. That's fine. They mix yep. perfectly, nearly perfectly even. However... The sperm can't survive without mitochondria, and the egg can't survive without mitochondria. Now, the egg is, what, a million times bigger than the sperm? I haven't measured it. I don't know either. I that could be a gross over-exaggeration. A thousand really. times bigger yeah, than the sperm? Quite a lot bigger. But it means it's going to have a huge... It doesn't mean there's a thousand times more mitochondria, because the surface area is even bigger than that. It's going to have far more mitochondria In fact, to the, keep it alive. The back, the, sorry, the bacteria. The um, sperm has huge amount of mitochondria because it needs to swim a long distance yeah that's true but even though it's but it's so small compared to the <laughs> egg and so the egg is going to have a huge amount of mitochondria which means when these divisions occur the mitochondria from the sperm basically get diluted out from all the mitochondria in the egg which well, means you get all your mitochondrial dna from your mum well but, but well actually no yes ba- basically no, yes no. i'm you're the geneticist i'm more embryologist come on i don't really say embryologist anyway when the sperm binds to the egg, yeah. all it does is just... Pop its head off. Pop, it you know, just squirts its DNA in. So all its cytoplasm doesn't really do much. It just pushes its genetic material into the egg. So you're not really dropping off any cytoplasmic material. Are you sure? Pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that you do. No. Because it goes... You, know, you don't think any of it gets captured in that process? No, because I think my, my understanding is as the sperm's going into the follicular cells, mm-hmm. which is the surrounding cells around the egg, mm-hmm. uh, it kind of um, everts its head, yeah. its acrosome, and it spills these lysosomes out, which eat through, and then its head binds to the... Ooh, the 
to kind of mind blank now. There's a membrane, an outer membrane around the egg. Mm -hmm. It binds to that, the zona pellucidum, that's yeah. it, which then prevents any other sperm coming yes. into it. And then at that point, it kind of has this kind of reaction, which then allows just the DNA to basically... But does the rest just fall off and separate from the egg? Yeah, that's my understanding I thought it was all encapsulated. I could be wrong, anyway, but that was my understanding. Okay, so only it's, it's likely that I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, but regardless, the mitochondrial DNA and the mitochondria that you have in your body are from your mum, not from your yes. dad. Which means it's a, it's a consistent maternal line, unbroken. And that's a way that you can... Uh, what's the word? You can do trace your genetic. You can do genetic lineage analysis through your mitochondria. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And it takes your maternal lineage. Yeah. So amazing. that's the mitochondria. Amazing. amazing. Any other organelles you want to talk about? Or are we done? No, I think that will do. But but let's just. We use don't need to talk about membrane transport. Do you think? No, I think it's too much for today. Okay. Um, let's just give an example now. How? Let's just put five cells and yeah. see how they're different by their different arrangements of the organelles. Okay. So, neuron, a neuron's main... F and, this, and this highlights the concept of form equals function. Okay. So, what it looks like, what it actually contains, is how it will actually function. Or is an indication of how it functions. Yeah, so you've got uh, a neuron, which let's say is 10 to 20 micros in diameter as mm -hmm. a big long tube. It could go from your toe up to your mid-back. Yeah, so it could be a bit okay, over a so metre long. So, it could be over a metre long but very small. Now, the, yep, the, the vast majority of that cell is going to be membrane. Yes. Okay? So its big function is to do something on its membrane, and that's essentially to send ions up and or in and out of it. Yep. Which that's is a, good point. A, a, a change in charge. So if you want to understand that process, we've actually done a podcast on action potentials and western mm. membrane potentials. In actual fact, it was just me standing there talking about it for two hours by myself. Because I wasn't there. You were away. You were in India? Probably. No, you were somewhere else. No, I think it was India. Okay. So, yes, that's neurons. What else? Uh, we'll go to the muscles. All right. Um, well, now, oh, just quickly with the neurons, just, it, just so we have a few other things there. You said about proteins within the cytoplasm. Um, neurons have other things in its cytoplasm, these big, long protein tubes, yep. which helps to transport things, because it's a metre long, yeah. and it's one, ends, one end of it is the cell body, That's right. the other end is just an end. Yeah. You need to transport things from the cell body up to the other end. Sometimes you need to transport neurotransmitters against it. Yeah, so a good example way. would be, um, we did this last week with the, the muscles, you have these tubes, protein tubes, the, mm -hmm. what are they called, the cytotubules? Or yeah, microtubules. That go from microfilaments, things like that. The cell tubule that goes from the the body, mm -hmm. let's say in your lumbar, all the way down to your toe, to contract, help you contract the little muscles in your toe, right? Yeah. Now it will make the proteins for the vessel vesicles, and move it all the way down to the bottom. Mm -hmm. But the actual neurotransmitter ACH gets reuptaked down the bottom end. Mm -hmm. Okay. But you'd need empty vesicles down there. Yeah. To allow to sit in there. Make yep. sense? Yeah. So you do all the DNA and all the protein creation the cell body. up the top, but you need to send it all, all those proteins all the way down the tubes. Mm. Down there. Mm. So that's a, that's a neuron. Yeah. Let's go muscles. Yeah. We're down the toe still. Let's okay. the muscles. Yep. So the muscles are essentially just big cylindrical 
cells. If we're talking about skeletal muscles. Okay, that have all these kind of elastic proteins in them, which are the actin and the mycin. Yeah. And they have crossheads, and we spoke about that. In muscle contraction. And, that, and they are just essentially heaps and heaps of proteins that help the movement of the cell. Yeah. But also you need things to help that contraction. So you need lots of ATP to unlock the heads and repower it. And so you, to have all that ATP, you need to have lots of mitochondria. So you would expect muscle cells to have heaps and heaps of mitochondria. You would also need a lot of calcium. So you'd need to have that smooth ER to contain that calcium. Yep. Okay. Anything else in the muscle no, cell? No, that's perfect. That's great example. Then go to mu- the fat cells. The fat cells are basically just filled completely with fat. Yeah. So energy. It's just like, for energy. It's like a whole room of olive oil. Oh, there you go. And it's Sounds there's delicious. so much. Sounds like a dream. There's so much <laughs> in there. It's pushed all the organelles to the outside membrane. Mm, that's so true. So if you look at a fat cell, the nucleus is off on squished against the cell membrane. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. And uh, what you find is that if you use that, so I said there for energy, but not always, because you've got some, you've got functional fat, and structural fat. So some of this fat is going to be sitting there to protect and anchor certain structures of your body, and some is going to be there like but the fat we have on But it would still be there for storage, but it might have conserved, been conserved in its development. To, there will be to certain fat depositions that we will still never use. use for energy. Well, I reckon you would. I'd, I reckon you'd be I mean, close to death could. beforehand. No, no, that's what I'm saying, is that we, we would use it, if we know, just like the marathon runner that was in the New England Journal of Medicine, who ran so much that he utilised so much of his fat stores that he moved from his functional fat and moved on to his structural fat, such as the fat that surrounds the kidneys, that perirenal fat, which anchors it into place and protects it. And the kidneys started to move. So you're totally right. You would use it, but it's not there to be used. It's there primarily for other reasons. That also explains why there's a different fat type. What's it? Deposition. Deposition, there we go. Between males and females. Males are much more likely to store the fat uh, abdominally, mm-hmm. females much more on the gluteal region yep. and thighs, um, and that's the way they utilise the storage fat differently. Unfortunately for males, um, it puts a greater risk on a lot of diseases by having the fat in that region than cool. females. Uh, another example would be, oh, let's do two more, right. macrophages. Yeah, Macrophages is a cell that's in the blood, and its job is to just eat things that shouldn't be there. So macro means large, phage or phage means... Eating. Okay, big eater, so like you. Like me. So it needs special enzyme, destructive enzymes, to kill whatever it's going to eat. So like lysosomes? Lysosomes. So it's Proxosomes? got full of lysosomes. Nice. One more? I think one more. Uh, well, I think that's enough. No, let's do one more. Okay. Okay, this is a bit of a side point, but I think it's important because this is, this is the exception to the rule. Red blood cells. Red blood cells, in its early phase of development, comes out of the bone, bone, bone marrow, marrow yeah. and it comes out as a reticulocyte. Mm-hmm. Probably a oh, few, don't go through all the bloody ones. bone but anyway, development phases. It, one of its early phases is a reticulocyte, which is an immature red blood cell. Yes. At this point, it's still got a lot of its um, organelles. But because its main function for at least three months of its life is to carry oxygen at mm-hmm. high quantities. That's right. So what it does is it drops off all of its mitochondria, so it gets rid of its mitochondria, 
sorry, I said organelles. It gets rid of all its organelles, yeah. so it drops off its mitochondria, mm-hmm. it drops off its nucleus, yeah. and probably a lot of other things, and just fills itself with heaps of proteins, which we call hemoglobin. Yes. Including a bit of iron. Yeah. And that all it does, so it's just jam-packed, this one red blood cell, with 250 million molecules of each, hemoglobin. Each can carry four oxygen. So, so each red blood cell carries a billion. one billion oxygen molecules. Yeah. And Insane, so like a thought would be... Well, and the red blood cells are one of our most abundant cells in the body. And each one carries a billion oxygen molecules. Well, at least in the blood anyway. So Crazy. The, yeah, so it can still survive by producing its ATP in the cytoplasm, mm. which just needs enough ATP to hold its shape as like this funny-looking donut. Yeah, because it, it doesn't really survive for too long, does it? 100-odd days? Yeah. 120 and, days? And it's basically once it loses its shape... Done. It's then killed by the spleen. Or oh, it's actually killed by macrophages. But the spleen is like the elephant graveyard for red blood cells. The elephant? Elephant graveyard, you know, oh. the place where they all go yeah, to... Why elephants? Because it's... You've you never heard of the red term, blood cells an elephant? The, the elephant in the room. You've never heard <laughs> the term red blood... Uh, no, I have, I have. Elephant have. graveyard? All right, so that's really a run-through. Well, that wasn't as brief as I thought we were going to be. You started banging on about bloody cell types. Michael just did a lecture on it, so he's fresh as a daisy on it. Fresh as a daisy. Uh, So I just basically smashed a two-hour lecture in 35 minutes. Good job. (laughs) All right. Is that it? Well, Any final points? Final points are, please, go onto iTunes, rank us, rate us, give us five stars, if you don't want to give us five stars, don't give us... Don't do it. <laughs> don't give us any less than five stars because it makes me sad. Uh, please, I've, seen, I've seen Michael sobbing in his I've, office. Not just sobbing. I've been inconsolable. Please also leave a comment if you like. Tell us what you like about the show. If you don't like the show, just don't listen and don't, don't rate us or anything like that. It's, uh, it does hurt my feelings, and so that's that, not that, nice to do. That is, an, in a nutshell, or in a cell membrane shell. Oh, here we go. <laughs> the, the cell. Thank you. <laughs> Please contact us on Twitter, at GU Biosciences, or you can contact, contact us. <laughs> I've been talking too much. Individually on I'm Twitter. I'm just going to say something quickly. Oh, this, oh. Lecture, this podcast followed an hour and a half of the cancer, so that's why we're probably a bit... A bit tongue-tied. And a bit... Crazy. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, at Mikey Todd or Mickey Todd, it's, it's at M-I-C-K-E-Y-T-O-D. You can follow Matt at Dr. D. R. Bartox, B-A-R-T-O-X. You can just follow the Dr. Matt and Dr. Martin Medical podcast Twitter, which is at GU Biosciences. We've got Instagram. Go and follow our images at GU Biosciences. We've got Facebook too, Dr. Matt and Dr. Mark's Medical Podcast. We have this a YouTube too, channel with a whole bunch of videos there for free to help you study if you're a med student, nursing student, OT student, physio student, uh, speech path student, if you do human or anatomy. Or student of life. Or student of life, if you just love to learn. We have anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology, pharmacology videos. We've got it all there for you. If there's a video that's not there and you think it should be there, send us an email at GU Biosciences. No, gbiosciences at gmail.com. All right, Michael's neurons are dysfunctional. I'm about to pass out, so I'll speak to you all soon. See you guys.